I just want to say thank you so much to everyone for um, just the overwhelming love and support that Aaron and I have received as we welcomed our son, Valor, um, to this world seven weeks ago tomorrow. So we had, um, we had three and a half weeks, pretty much almost every single day of meals provided to us by people in this church family and community. And we are just so overwhelmed by, um, the amount of love and support to have a baby is one, like, it's a lot to have your fourth baby next level, but we are here and God is so good. So thank you so much. And just like, um, that Ukrainian family, their youngest son, David, uh, he was born only five days before Valor. So I can't imagine picking up my life and moving across the continent, um, across the entire world to a new place with a new language. So let's just rally around them as well and, and show them love and support as they make this transition. But yeah, this morning, I, my, the title of my message is Trust the Process, Trust the Process. Uh, you know, as a speaker, you're not supposed to ever apologize when you're up here on the microphone, but this morning I'm going to apologize for the fact that I'm Canadian and British, and so I don't say process, I say process. So as you are listening to this sermon this morning, you can just replace that word process with process whenever I say that. But um, a promise is something that is an agreement that is not meant to be broken. And we serve a God who is a God of promises. And we see all throughout the Bible that he is a covenant God, that he gives promises and he makes covenants and he doesn't break them. He fulfills them. And I want you to raise your hand if you've ever been given a God-given desire or promise in your life. Raise your hand. Okay, now look around. All right, that's great. Raise your hand if you've ever received a prophetic word from someone. Okay. Awesome. So we know that God likes to speak to us through, um, a through just to ourselves. Um, he speaks to us through the word and then he speaks to us through other people. And so if you've never received a prophetic word or you feel like you would really love one to kind of confirm what God is already speaking in your life, we do offer prophetic blessing once a month. That's, um, during our first service. So we'll announce that when it's coming up and we have trained people in the prophetic who would love to speak into your life. But um, so sometimes God gives us, uh, the promises fulfilled right away. And then other times we have to wait and there's a journey and a process to get from when the word has been spoken to us to seeing the promise fulfilled. And it's in that time of waiting that God is actually preparing us for something. Okay. He's building, he builds our character. He builds our faith. He builds our trust in him in that moment. But that journey is not always easy. And that waiting place is sometimes really challenging. And so that's what I'm, I'm sharing on this morning is, will you trust God in the process? Will we put our trust in him in that waiting period? Um, Jeremiah 29, 11. It's a common verse, but it says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, plans not to harm you, but to give you hope and a future. And this is the promise that God says to us is that he has plans for us. So turn to someone beside you and say, God has a plan for your life. And it's a good plan. (laughs) But often we can get often we get stuck in the waiting process, the waiting process. So we, this is the microwave generation, right? We want our food quick. We want it fast. We want the fast food. 
Who goes to Chick-fil-A now and orders their food ahead of time and then scans their barcode? Anyone? Just me with the kids? All right. Awesome. Okay. Target pickup. Am I right? Now, thanks to COVID, pretty much everyone offers some sort of way to order your food online and just come and pick it up. We don't even have to wait for that anymore. And my text messages, my phone calls, they come straight to my watch. I can send it off. I don't have to, you know, send my, my pigeon carrier or carrier pigeon. That's it. Carrier pigeon with my message and someone receives it three months later or, you know, snail mail, writing a letter. There are some of us in this room that don't even know what dial up internet is. All right. I remember the days of dial up internet. You know, you can, And then like your sister or brother gets, picks up the phone or your mom and you're like, I'm on the internet. You just disconnected me. (laughs) But even if you were part of that generation or a generation that used to write letters and mail them off and then you'd have to wait eagerly anticipating for it to come. um, We now are dependent on cell phones and we're dependent on our target pickups and our quick stuff. And we want things fast and we want it now. And God doesn't always work like that. God isn't a order pickup kind of guy, I'm guessing. Um, but he, he does not work always on the timeline and the time frame that we want. And it's hard sometimes for us to hear a promise from God that's been spoken and then to wait and see it fulfilled. And there might even be times where we don't even see it fulfilled in this life. Maybe our future generations will see that fulfilled. But God is inviting us into that place and into that journey in the waiting process. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Samuel 16. This is the story of the anointing of David by Samuel the prophet. And chapter 16, God came to Samuel and said to him, I've rejected Saul as king. Go to the tribe of Jesse where I have chosen one of the sons to be king. Now Samuel was a prophet and I'm guessing that it probably doesn't take a prophet to, to think that assuming someone or anointing someone as king while there's already a king on the throne is probably not going to go down pretty well. All right. You don't need to have a prophetic gifting to know that that's probably not the best idea. And so Samuel, he responds to God and says that he would be killed if Saul was to find out. And God then says, take a cow and put together a sacrifice to me and invite Jesse and his sons to the sacrifice. So Samuel arrives in Bethlehem and he goes to speak with Jesse and the elders in the town. They were afraid because back in the day, if a prophet usually showed up, it meant things weren't good. They had bad news to share or things weren't going well. There was trouble. And Samuel says to them, don't worry. I've come to make a sacrifice to God and you're invited. So Jesse and his sons in the whole town, they come to this sacrifice and they show up and they're watching the sacrifice. And as Samuel watches Jesse's sons walk in, he kind of had a hunch about who God was probably going to choose or who he thought God was going to choose. So he sees Eliab, the oldest son, come. And he's probably considering Eliab that this is the the one that God wants to anoint because he was the oldest son, meaning he was probably going to be the one to receive the inheritance of his father. And he was strong and tall and probably looked like a warrior, ready to lead people into battle, probably ripped, you know, worked out a lot. (laughs) 
First, uh, in verse seven, it says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. For I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So the Lord is saying to Samuel, this is not the one that I'm choosing. And so he goes down the line and he asks all of the sons pass in front of him. And Samuel's asking God, he's like, is it this one? God's like, nope, nope, nope. Remember there's seven sons. So you go, you got to go six times. Nope. Is it this one? Lord. Okay. There's no one left. God, who is it? So finally, Samuel asks Jesse, are there any more? Verse 11, there is still the youngest. Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So Jesse sent for his youngest son, David, and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. As he was anointed as king, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. Because when God anoints us, the Holy Spirit comes and fills us. And the Holy Spirit has anointed us. And you are, we are all anointed by God. And the Holy Spirit, his presence lives in us and on us. But there's something about when the Holy Spirit comes upon us in that moment for such an appointment. That that was the moment when David was anointed to be king of, of Israel. But David doesn't immediately become king, Right? You know, if this was a movie, Saul would have been instantly kicked off his throne. David comes in and he's leading uh, the, the, the nation and he leads them into battle. But it's not, that's not what happens. What happens is it, the story kind of stops there and we don't really hear much about it. It actually took, they, they estimate it took about 15 years from, da- from the time that David was anointed as king to when he was actually appointed as king. Now, that's a long time of waiting. That's a long time to be a shepherd going back into the fields because it says that then David went back to tending his father's sheep. So he literally just goes back to the fields knowing that I've just been anointed as king. But it takes 15 years. 15 years is a long time to be sat there waiting and waiting for the promise of God to come to pass in your life, in his life. But there was a process and a journey that God wanted to take David through because the the fact was he wasn't ready to be king in that moment. But God wanted him to know, I see you, I'm anointing you, and now I'm going to take you on a journey and a process to prepare you. And it's the Holy Spirit that came on him that actually, it gives us the grace to be able to walk through that journey of preparation and wait until we see the promise fulfilled in our life. Now, there's a tree called the Chinese bamboo tree. I don't know if anyone's heard of it, but this tree starts out as a nut, okay? And it has to be watered. Once it's planted in the ground, it has to be watered and fertilized every single day for five years. And if you stop watering it or fertilizing it, it dies. So that's a lot of tending to this little nut. And for five years, nothing breaks the surface, okay? And then around year five, all of a sudden, the nut breaks through the surface as a start of a tree. And within six weeks, it grows 90 feet tall. 
And the crazy thing about this is that within those five years, as the, as the person who is tending to this tree waters it and fertilizing it, what's happening under the ground is the tree is going deep and wide with its root system. Because in order for it to be able to hold itself up at 90 feet tall, it has to have a really deep root system. But on the surface, it looks like nothing is happening at all. And this is, I love this imagery of this tree because this is showing us what God is doing when he, when he says something, something goes deep in our hearts. Something is planted in our hearts. That promise is planted in our hearts, but we have to grow our root system and we have to grow our, um, our faith and our character and our maturity and our patience in order to then be able to hold up what actually is the weight of that promise. And the weight of that promise fulfilled. Because if the, if the tree didn't have those roots and it shot up that tall within, hey, it's like, it's going to topple over probably. As soon as the first gust of wind comes, it's going to go. And we see that happen, unfortunately, to some people. That they're not ready for that position. They're not ready for the appointing. But God wants us as we wait in that season, even though it looks like nothing's happening, God's like, I'm, I'm taking you on the journey. I'm testing your faith. Do you trust me? Will you trust me in this process? Will you trust me in the waiting? And David had every opportunity to grow bitter, right? I probably, I would have grown bitter many different times because bitterness is the unbelief in the promises of God for us. And people will often say, well, I had so much faith that God was going to do it, but then he didn't. So, and the thing about that statement is the word I had faith because faith isn't past tense. If it, if it's past tense, it's not faith. Faith is saying, even though I don't see it right now, I'm still going to believe that if he promised it, he's going to do it. That's faith. And there's an invitation and opportunity for us to keep our hearts pure before the Lord and for us to keep our hearts open to him and open to his timing and when he's going to do it. First Corinthians 1 through 20, it says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes and amen in Christ. They are yes and amen. This is, this is the promise that God has made to us that we can stand and say, God, your plan for my life, the things that you've said for my life, they are yes and amen in you because you spoke it. And I'm not going to grow bitter. I'm not going to grow weary. I'm going to have faith to believe that you're going to um, make it come to pass. And if you allow that to settle in your heart, then you'll allow yourself to go on the journey with God and to, and to see what he's going to do. And our faith cannot be circumstantial, meaning we can't just have faith when things are going great. If we put my, Duncan always says, if you have faith for the outcome that you want, you'll always be disappointed, something like that. But if you put your faith in Jesus, you'll never be disappointed. You'll never be discouraged. Trust, if you trust in the outcome, you'll be disappointed. If you trust, put your trust in Jesus, you never will be. And often we, we do, we put our trust in that. And there are, there are times when, Maybe there, someone in our life has died and we, we had a promise that they were going to be resurrected and we didn't see that happen. 
the promise actually from Jesus is resurrection life, but it may not be on this side of eternity. And we don't know that because God is mysterious. We don't always know what's going to happen, but there, the promise for us is resurrection life in him for all of eternity. If we put our hope and our trust in Jesus Christ. Amen. So turn with me to first Kings 18. Verse 1 says, Later on in the third year of the drought, the Lord said to Elijah, Go and present yourself to King Ahab. Tell him that I will soon send rain. So Elijah went to appear before Ahab. Meanwhile, the famine had become very severe in Samaria. So there was a famine in the land. It was like this verse says, it was the third year of the famine, and King Ahab had been relentlessly trying to pursue Elijah and kill him and kill all the other prophets in the land. And after this verse, there's the story of the, the fire coming down from heaven, right? And they were, they were all worshiping Baal and Baal didn't bring the fire, but God did as they threw the water on the sacrifice. Even then God brought the fire. And so then after that happens, verse 41, it says, Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off. Remember there was a famine and a drought. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Go and look to the sea. He told his servant and he went up and looked. There is nothing there. He said seven times. Elijah said, go back. The seventh time the servant reported a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. I love this because, and then we know the, the rain came and the drought was over, just like God had said. And I, I love this story because I just picture Elijah up there on the mountain and he had faith that God was going to end this drought because he said to Ahab, I hear the sound of a heavy rain coming, but there was no clouds in the sky. The rain didn't look like it was coming. And imagine you're the servant and it's like, okay, I'm going to go, I'll go look, go to the mountain. Okay. Nothing's there. And Elijah's like, go back. And he tells him seven times, go back. There's nothing there. Go back. There's nothing. Go back, but go back. And he sends him back seven times. The faith that Elijah had to say, God has said, there's this, or I hear the sound of the rushing rain. God has said that the, the drought is going to end. So go back and look. And then sure enough, there's the cloud, even as small as, as it is. There it is. And sometimes we have to be relentless in our pursuit of God to fulfill the promises that he said too, and to grab onto them and say, I'm not seeing it, but I'm going to keep looking. I'm not seeing it right now, but I'm going to go back and I'm not going to get discouraged and I'm not going to stop going back to look and I'm not going to stop fixing my eyes on the horizon. I'm not going to stop fixing my eyes on Jesus. I'm going to keep going back and, and allow my faith to grow, knowing that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. We can often mistake the anointing of God for the appointing of God. And David was anointed to be king, but he didn't yet have that appointment for the kingdom. And some of us, we have anointing on our lives, but we're not yet in the appointing. And every, you know, everyone saw David get anointed. There was a big crowd there. 
His brothers are all there. His family's there. The people in the town are there for the sacrifice. They saw him get anointed. And there are people in our lives that they see what's on our lives and they call that out. And they're, they're like, wow, you're an incredible leader. Or you're the best salesperson I've ever seen. Or look at your giftings. You have so much potential. Look how good you are in sports. And we start to be like, oh yeah, I am. Look at, look at me. I'm anointed. I'm called. Look at me. Go. And we're like, God, why don't you see what they see? God, do you not see this? Do you not see how amazing I am? Come on. When's my promotion, God? (laughs) And that's where it gets a little tricky. (laughs) And we can start to get tunnel vision, but in a bad way. You know, tunnel vision can be a good thing when we're like, we're going to fix our eyes at the only thing at the end of the tunnel. But the thing about tunnel vision is when we're looking so much at that bright light at the end of the tunnel, A, our eyes never adjust to the stuff around us. And we're blinded by only what we can see at the end. And B, we don't, yeah, we're not able to look to the left and the right and see what God is doing right in this moment as we're journeying through that tunnel. We get blinded by that. If we allow ourselves to get blinded by that promise, that desire, that appointing that we think that maybe we deserve or that we think, you know, God has spoken it and we want it, which is good we can miss often what God is doing right in that moment as we start to journey through that tunnel towards that. And we don't want to miss what God's doing, right? We don't want to miss what he's doing on our left. We don't want to miss what he's doing on our right. So David's appointing after that anointing was to watch the sheep. That was what, in that moment, that was what he was called to do. He was called to go back and watch the sheep for his father. And so... There might be things that people have spoken over you and God has spoken over you for your life. But God's saying, right now, this is where I'm calling you. Right now, this is what you're supposed to be doing. You're right where you're supposed to be. And we're going to journey together to get there. And that might be, maybe God's promised a promotion for you. And God's like, just keep being faithful here. I haven't forgotten about that appointment, but keep staying here because this right now is your appointment. This is where you're called to be. And when I think about my own story and my own journey and our own life, you know, Aaron and I, almost 10 years ago this, this August, Aaron moved here from Canada to come and be the youth pastor at this church. And when we got married eight years ago, which we just celebrated um, eight years of marriage, yep, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I joined him in being the youth pastor. And We never saw youth pastoring as like a stepping stone to something else or, oh, one day we want to be, you know, lead pastors of this church and this is how we get there. We never, ever thought that. We didn't even have that kind, even in the back of our minds. We were like, this is amazing. This is what God's called us to do. We're going to give our all to this. And in that season of life and that season of pastoring, we learned so much that actually ended up allowing us to be prepared for this moment and this opportunity right now as we're about to step into, you know, lead pastors here at this church. But we wouldn't have known how to hold a microphone and speak in front of people if we didn't go through that. We wouldn't know how to lead leaders if we didn't do that. We wouldn't know how to 
communicate and write emails and copy and, you know, do social media and do budgets and all the things that are behind the scenes because this is only like 10% of your job as a pastor. And we wouldn't know how to love people and, and do all the things that we do now had we not gone through that process, but we never saw it as the stepping stone to something else. We were like, this is where God's calling us. This is where he's appointed us. And we're going to be faithful right here, right now. And now translate that to your life. You know, maybe there is something where you're working for someone else right now, but God has promised you that one day you're going to have your own business. But there's things right now that you can learn so much from and from that person to be able to apply to the next promotion that God has for you, but you have to be open in the journey and not be hoping and wishing and, and just focusing so much on that next thing that you're missing what God is doing right now in this moment. The preparation has to come before the opportunity and David, he, he went through that preparation in those 15 years, even though we don't see it in the Bible, God was actually preparing David for the for the position of king of Israel. 1 Samuel 16, if you have it, turn with me. Verse 14, it says, Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul's attendant said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the lyre. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes on you, and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, Find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine looking man. And the Lord said to him, and the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son, David, who is with the sheep. It was while David was attending the sheep that he, as he was a worshiper out there in the fields, worshiping, writing many of the Psalms that we read, playing the lyre. That was where he developed his ability, most likely, to practice his craft and practice on the lyre. And then David goes on to kill Goliath in, in chapter 17, verse 32 through 36. It says, David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go forth and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. You know, David wouldn't have even been in the presence of Saul had he not learned how to play the lyre, had he not been faithful out in the fields with the lyre to even be in the presence of Saul, to then say to him, I want to fight this Philistine. And then in order for Saul to even take him seriously, to be like, I'm going to let you go do that, he was out in the field. God was preparing him as he's killing the lion and the bears that are going after his father's lambs. And there's things that we are doing right now that if we weren't doing that, it we wouldn't be, the doors would not open for the future things that God has for us. It's the preparation of the liar and the lions and the lambs that prepare us to come into greatness because David wouldn't, he probably wouldn't have been received by the people to be king had he not slain Goliath because they needed a warrior, right? They needed a man of war. 
to lead them, for them to look at and be like, I want to follow that person. And it was the lion and the bears that prepared him for that moment, for the people to even receive him. So what are the things in our lives that are preparing us? Just take a moment and think, think that for yourself. What are the things that I'm facing right now, those lions and those bears that I'm facing that look like, that are preparing me for the next thing? God is teaching us in the process to be bold in our faith, to grow in our character, and he's probably even fine-tuning some of the gifts that he's given us in our hearts, making us ready for the next thing. But do we trust him in the process? Do we trust him in that waiting? Whether it's a week, you know, maybe we need money for a missions trip and someone comes and gives us the money right away and we see it. Or we've been struggling to conceive for six years and we know that God's going to give us a baby. Whatever it is, are we trusting him in that process? And are we allowing him to grow our faith muscles, to grow our character? It took 40 years for the Israelites to see the promised land. And even Moses himself didn't see it, right? But his future generations did. And there might be things that we may never see, but our future generations will. But God is in the midst of every promise, and he fulfills it no matter what. Because <laughs> he's good like that. Aaron, Aaron and I, a couple of years ago, we were, um, we were looking for a house to move to. And a couple years before that, we had a prophet come to this church. His name is David Wagner, and he had prophesied over Aaron and I. And one of the things in a long prophetic word was that God was going to give us an upgrade for our upgrade and that he was going to give us a house with a studio in the basement. And I don't know, in North Carolina, I don't know about you guys, but I haven't really come across many basements in North Carolina it's not really a thing. And we're from Canada, so we always grew up with basements. It was always like the hangout spot for everyone. You know, you got the pool table down there, and it's like nice and cold in the summers. And so this was on one of Aaron's top desires. So every time we would be looking for houses, Aaron would be like, you need to make sure that you click basement. And I'm like, we're never going to find a house if we do that. And, but, you know, we, this prophet who we know and love we were watching him prophesy over every single one of our family members with our jaws on the ground at how accurate it was. And he said this word to us. We were like, okay, well, God has a house for us. And if our desire is for a basement, like let's write out all of our desires and the things that we really desire for this house. And that was a couple years before. So we were like praying and believing that one day God would give us this house. And our amazing realtor, Raph, there he is. He was on the base. Um, he <laughs> patiently went with us to many houses, and we were like, hey, this is not it. And Aaron every time, but there's not a basement. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Um, and <laughs> all of a sudden, this house pops up on, uh, on the Realtor app, and it said that there was going to be an open house. So we go to this open house, and actually, there was a member of our church who was, like, doing the open house. It's kind of cool. And we walk through it. And we were like, oh, this house is amazing. And there's a basement. Oh, my gosh, this unfinished basement. This is so cool. But it was about three months before we were actually going to start looking for houses for when all of our financing would line up. You know how you have to have a couple years of W-2 and all that. Anyway, so we weren't ready to look, essentially. But we saw this house. And so we were like, it's so nice, but it probably won't be available in three months. In fact, it definitely won't be. So let's not get our hopes up. And... Anyways, a couple months go by, and I had set 
like notifications on my phone to get alerts anytime there was a change on a house that I had favorited or something like that. And I would get a, a notification like every couple weeks, the house you viewed has dropped $10,000. And then again, the house you viewed has dropped $10,000. And so January rolls around when we're able to go look at this house and we, and I text Raph and I'm like, oh my gosh, this house is still available. Can we go? Let's go now. So we go to the house and there it is. And we were able to then, because it had been sitting on the market, which is so weird that it sat there because it's a brand new house. So it's not like there was some, you know, mold in the basement or something scary that put people off. For some reason, it just didn't sell and God was waiting for it. In fact, our neighbors were like, we wish we could have bought your house, but it wasn't going to be ready by the time we needed to move. So we didn't. And we were like, amazing. God was holding it for us. And we were able to negotiate another 10,000 off. So we got that house for $50,000 less than what it was listed for when we viewed it in the October. And it checked off every promise, every desire in our heart. And it had the studio in the basement, which we just finished after three and a half years, we finished our basement and Aaron has his space. And it was that promise that five years ago, five and a half Yeah, no, six years ago this fall, someone had prophesied to us that we would have that house. And we waited and God gave us that house. And I and I say that to encourage us that there is something that God has spoken to your heart, that you're waiting for it. But God hears every cry of our heart. God hears every longing in our heart. And he sees it all. And it doesn't go wasted. And he knows. And he's taking us on a journey and just saying, Will you trust me? Will you see what I'm doing, even under the ground? Will you see the roots that I'm growing in you? So I want to invite you to stand with me. And I want us to ask ourselves for a moment, what are the promises that we are still waiting to see fulfilled? Maybe there's a a dream in your heart that you want to start your own business. You want to start your own nonprofit. Or you want to be a mom. Or you want a husband or a wife. You want to be a dad. You'd love that promotion at work that you've had your eye on. And God has said, I'm going to put you in a place of authority here in this workplace. And then let's close our eyes for a moment and just be introspective for a second and ask ourselves, what has our attitude been like in this waiting process? Have we allowed, have we been patient full of faith, hopeful, and expectant? Or have we allowed anger, bitterness, hopelessness, and doubt to creep in? Just be real with yourself for a moment. Where have you been? I felt like we just needed to raise our hands for a moment as a prophetic act of surrendering to God. (laughs) Because the Bible says, many are the plans in a man's heart, but the Lord guides his steps. And there are lots of things that we have in our heart and God, God is actually in control. So Lord, this morning we surrender our lives to you We surrender our hearts to you this morning. We surrender our plans to you. And we say we put our trust in you. Even if we don't see the the fulfillment of the promise right now, 
even if it's taking longer than we expected or anticipated, we put our trust in you, Jesus. We surrender to you this morning. Would you, you can put your hands down if they're sore. (laughs) Would you give us eyes to see what you're doing in this moment? Would you give us eyes to see how you're growing us, how you're preparing us? And we choose to have tunnel vision for you, to fix our eyes on you, Jesus, not to fix our eyes on the promise or the dream, but to fix our eyes on you and to trust that you are going to bring it to pass like you said you would. Thank you, Jesus. And then just let's put our hands on our heart for a second and just say, God, fill my heart with faith. Take away all doubt and unbelief and fill me with hope and faith this morning. In Jesus' name.